Listening to Cannabis Health Radio. Here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. Welcome to another edition of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Yelland. Okay, this is the part of the podcast that we don't like. It's our fundraising efforts here at Cannabis Health Radio to keep the podcast alive. And right now, it's a safe bet to say that we're on life support. If you'd like to keep us bringing these interviews to you, then consider making a pledge, either a one-time donation or a monthly donation, which, by the way, can be as little as $3 a month, the price of a cup of coffee. Go to the donate page on our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com, and make a donation. Help sustain us. We want to help as many people around the world have a better understanding of medical cannabis to help them or someone they care about. And if you'd like to advertise with us or sponsor our podcast, send us an email at info at CannabisHealthRadio.com, and we'll connect with you. For those who have contributed so far, both Corey and I say thank you. Our guest today has had over 1,800 injections for two painful neurological problems that cause her severe pain. She is a former psychiatric nurse and federal corrections officer who has been using medical cannabis to relieve her symptoms. And joining us from Nova Scotia, Canada, is Melissa Ellsworth. Melissa, good of you to join us. Thanks very much. Thank you for having me. Melissa, you suffer from trigeminal neuralgia and occipital neuralgia. Explain what those are. Each on its own is a debilitating disorder. I've been lucky enough to have both. Um, trigeminal neuralgia, the trigeminal nerve is located above the ear and runs down along the face, into the neck, into the eye, the teeth. The occipital nerve runs along the back of the head and is connected down through the neck into the trapezius muscles and in through the thoracic nerve as well. Any injury to those areas can cause either or both. They're very painful. It does not go away. There is also no cure. Treatment is very, very sparse if you can find someone that actually understands what you have. A lot of this is chalked up to be in migraines or psychological issues. It's a very complex, both are very complex issues. And I also have PTSD as well on top of those, which all three together is is not great. What I'm dealing with is more along the lines of a chronic issue. It affects both the trigeminal nerve and the occipital nerve are so closely related in location that one can actually set off the other. So it's it's very, very complicated. It's It can be also misdiagnosed as the onset of MS, which can be scary to a lot of people. Right. Melissa, do you have constant pain or is it variable? Up until I started medical cannabis, I would, it was constant. It was debilitating and constant it, it never went away 
once I started the cannabis, the first thing I noticed was I felt like my eyes were open. I was seeing, like, I I was actually seeing things. Um, I wasn't blinded by the pain. My thought process wasn't skewed by the pain. That was one of the, the, the very first things that, that I noticed with that. When were you first diagnosed with these neurological disorders? Um, I was injured at work in 2009, and I had my arm violently pulled away from my body, like twice in probably 10 seconds. So that dislocated my shoulder and it caused some nerve damage. For a long, it was a workers' compensation issue, and I guess anybody that's who's ha- who's had to deal with them knows it's it's difficult. It's a difficult process. Mm-hmm. Um, where were lot, you? Where were you working at the time? I was working at a f- women's federal prison in Truro. Okay, Truro, Nova Scotia. Yes. And someone grabbed your arm and and, and pulled it. Yes. Yes. Oh, it was an inmate. She pulled it away from my body twice. Okay. And it was painful at the time. So what <laughs> happened uh, after the incident itself in terms of, of the pain in, in your uh, in your system? I can't even describe the pain I was feeling because when you're in, you're in that much pain, it's difficult to process anything. It, it, that might sound like a simple answer. But it's not. Um, it affects everything. Like, my shoulder was sore. I had pain in my neck. I had pain in my face. I had pain behind my eyes. My lower back hurt on that side. It was all one-sided. Um, I had, it felt like someone was, within three hours of getting my arm pulled, with it, it felt like someone was putting a live wire to the right side of my face. And anybody who's ever got a shock or anything like that, that's how it started, and it would just go behind my eye, down my cheek, and it, it would bring me to my knees. I could be having a conversation and randomly get that electrical shock for three, five seconds down the side of my face and could be on my knees on the floor. Yeah, I can understand that's totally uh, totally consuming when you, it is. when you have pain like that. It's exhausting. Did the doctors diagnose you with trigeminal neuralgia right away? No. No, um, we. I started getting injections. They were working, not long term, but they were working in the short term. And as a former nurse, I know that injections and corticosteroids over time can cause damage. I wanted to get at the root of the problem. It was fine that the injections were working short term, but I wanted to know what was wrong. What were we treating that needed these injections? Because it was hard to find out. And it was a doctor, it was a dentist, uh, orthodontist in Halifax that actually put it all together. And he, he basically, by the time it took five years, almost five years, but by the time I got to see him, because workers' compensation only deals with approved providers. And if your doctor is not approved provider, chances are you won't, will not get the treatment they're requesting. So I had to fight to get the treatment, and during that time, he died. He said, I get, it's occipital neuralgia, trigeminal neuralgia, central region not needalized pain syndrome, they call it. Um, there's a number of different names for it, but once it progresses to a certain point, almost everything around it is affected. That's interesting that a dentist uh, diagnosed you as opposed to uh, a medical practitioner. 
Interesting. Uh, yes. Yes. But it, when when you're dealing with pain like that, I think it's hard for the patient to describe what's actually going on as well because your your mind is cl- is clouded with pain. Like what you're trying to say doesn't always come out like it like it's meant either, right? And when you have these conditions, I imagine and correct me if I'm wrong that you when you go out into the public, you never know when you're going to be hit with this pain, do you? No. No, and if anybody that's had anxiety or had an anxiety attack, when you feel that feeling coming on, like you're in the grocery store or wherever, like your first it's anxiety, but it's also fear because you don't want to you don't want to fall down or end up on the floor in the middle of the grocery store. I people with like I know I had that feeling a lot when I went out in public because it was so random. It I didn't have to do anything specific to cause it. It it just happened. And the last thing I wanted to do was draw attention to myself if I was out like that. Mm-hmm. Has it impacted you at all in terms of of being able to drive? Long distances, yes. Long distances. Um, my family is actually in Cape Breton, so I, I do travel back and forth to see them when when I can make the trip. It, it's done a lot, and the, I think the medications that I was taking to try to get some relief along the way too did some damage. So it's kind of hard to tell at this point. I know what's occipital neuralgia. I know what's PTSD. I know what's trigeminal. But as far as other things, like we don't really know what caused them. Like there, there was severe bladder issues. Like that also incorporated into my long-term driving with the occipital neuralgia. So, and then you have that anxiety on top. Like, is is there going to be a bathroom close? Will I get a shock on the way there? It's it can be pretty pretty hard on the head to say the least. When you were on these medications, did you have the bladder issue? prior to being medicated, or did the, the bladder issue come as a result of the medications you were on? I had no bladder issues whatsoever prior to this. I've never, honestly, I've never even, I don't think I had two, maybe two bladder infections in my whole life. And mm. it seemed like since I started taking the Navalone and the more it increased, the worse my bladder got. Tell me about the 1,800 injections you've taken over the last number of years. It started with jaw issues. I was having that's how I ended up with the dentist. When I complained of other other areas of pain and other, a couple of other issues surrounding that, that's when he ma- he made the link that there's more going on than just the jaw. He the only relief we tried flexoral, we tried um, flexoral creams, oh, muscle relaxers, you heat ice heating pads um you name it i tried it and then the topic of injections came up and it was depomedral marcaine that he wanted to use and we started i had my mobility in my neck my jaw was so bad that i couldn't i couldn't chew food so i went from 130 pounds which um, i was never a big girl anyway but i went from 130 pounds down to 98 pounds and I stand at five nine. Wow, you were mm. skin and bone. I was, I was. So that's how the injection started, trying to give me more mobility, a little more, loosen the muscles up and stuff a bit, to, until we found out what was going on. And 
I think in 2010, I talked to my caseworker at workers' compensation. I had concerns because I know the long-term, like I didn't want to get these depomedral marking injections for the rest of my life. And I said, you know, why don't we find out what's going on here? Instead of putting a Band-Aid on this situation, why don't we find out what's going on? And they stopped my injections altogether. Stopped them so completely? I, they stopped them completely. Mm. So I appealed it, and I won the appeal in 2015. And the same doctor put in a recommendation of treatment, which will now cost them around $60,000 a year to maintain. Wow. So what was life like for you during this, before you discovered medical cannabis? It wasn't much of a life. My life consisted of doctor's appointments, physiotherapy, working on appeals for workers' comp to try to get treatment. Um, at the time, I was still employed by Corrections Canada. I was off work. I was dealing with them, trying to set up some sort of back-to-work thing if I was going back to work trying to explain to them I'm trying to get treatment to go back to work. And it basically consumed my life for the better part of six years. Mm. Melissa, what led you to trying medical cannabis? My pain doctor, who is excellent, he mentioned it in 2013. At the time, I was still employed by Corrections Canada. I was leery about applying for a medical cannabis application while still being employed by the government. Um, so I opted not to, which was stupid on my part because I, sh I put my employer before my health, which I shouldn't have done. Um, but that'll tell you how straight I was thinking at the time. But about a year later, in September of 2014, we had the discussion again. And I was, I believe I was on six milligrams of Navalone a day, about 30 to 40 milligrams of Flexerol. I was taking two to three Imavane at night just to try to fall asleep. I bought a house. I don't even barely remember buying it. So that, that'll tell you where, where my headspace was there. But in September 2014, um, he filled out the paperwork and I sent it away and I was officially licensed. And that's when I started really looking at medical marijuana. I was aware of it as a nurse. Um, I have tried marijuana. Like I'm not going to say I didn't, but when I started this process, I did not know the difference between an indica and a sativa. So, I mean, all of us have, have gone through life uh, having been brainwashed that medical cannabis marijuana is bad for us and it's going to make us do strange things. What type of, of cannabis did you take when you first started? In, in, did, you, did you smoke it? Did you vape it? Did you take the oil? I researched. Um, I'll tell you, from that point on, my focus was strictly on learning about everything I could do about this, more so once I realized that it worked. At first, I set up with an LP, and I did some research. I talked to them. They weren't much help. Honestly, it seemed like all they wanted to do was just sell me whatever they had more of at the time. Like so the, li the, the license provider wasn't the LP. The license provider wasn't much help to you. No. They just wanted to make a sale. Basically, yes. Mm. No, knowing what I know now, yes. Yes. Um, so what I did was I researched. I got an idea right away that sativas weren't my thing. 
with the PTSD, it's just, it's not my thing. Um, I learned quickly that CBD was. Um, CBD is my friend. It really likes me and I like it a lot. I started, I, I was under the impression because I wasn't knowledgeable. I didn't really have a lot of people to go to to ask either. And there was that cloud hanging over me work over my head, right? So I had to be very careful as well. Um, even to go to a friend or someone that I, I might know, I still had to be careful because if I showed up somewhere and there's someone else there and someone, you know what I mean? I had to, I just had to be very careful, which isn't fair either for some, for a patient that needs it. But, um, I researched, I looked up as much as I could. Um, I used resources like Leafly. Uh, I believe one of the first groups I joined was the cannabis oil success stories. Mm-hmm. And, um, the other one was advice with chummy and friends. And that's where I got my basis of a lot of what I learned. And I read a lot of what people were posting, what the conversations they were having. And with, I'd say within three months, I knew that CBD is really, really good. And the best way for me was ingestion. So Smoking what, works short term. Hmm. Uh, I was going to ask you, Melissa, when you... I was gonna. Sorry to interrupt. I was gonna ask you when you first started. You were you smoking it? Is that what you were doing, or were you vaping? I was smoking it. I tried smoking it, and then I tried vaping it. And I, I found with the trigeminal neuralgia, the puckering effect of having to draw. Believe it or not, that small motion can set off a shock or a mm. flare or or whatever. So I found. I had to draw too hard on most vaporizers to get that effect, at least the ones that I was I was coming across. The more I read, the more I found. I, I kept smoking it because it. I found when I did smoke it, the shocks were less frequent and less severe. And then the more CBD I ingested, I ingested the, the shocks started to go away. But I kept smoking it, and then the more I got on board with the ingestions and the medibles and things like that, I jumped right on board with the ingestion right away i still smoke when i'm sore if i get up in the day my head's a little feels a little tangly i will smoke but for short-term benefit yes for daily no so when you say you're ingesting are you doing that primarily in metables or are you doing it um just straight oil i make my own oil i have a magic putter machine right and i make my own oil with flour I use coconut oil and olive oil, and I make tinctures with it. I, I've never made oil because I, I, I'm not that experienced yet for the oil process. Okay. So I, I believe at some point I probably will. But right now, like the coconut oil, and I make gummy bears and chocolates and things like that. And I, I even put it on my chicken at supper time. Like every way I can get it into me through the day, I do. And it's doing the trick by the sounds of it. Yep. And I'm not high. Yeah. I am not high. Well, I know that, you know, CBD is awesome for uh, post-traumatic stress disorder and certainly for neurological issues as well. And, you know, you're not having to deal with the high. No. I find that the high gives me a little bit of anxiety, maybe, or Mm -hmm. it's a feeling I'm not used to. Yeah, that's that's actually fairly common. Yeah. So I find that the CBD in conjunction with the THC is... It's a perfect, perfect combination. Do you ever take the the capsules, Melissa, the CBD capsules with a bit of THC in them, small amount? Um, or the tinctures? I was, 
I was involved in the clinical trial that I ended up getting the placebo at first, but the second time when we found, when they told us that we got the placebo, they sent a month's supply of the real stuff, and they said it was one-to-one, and it, it was awesome. It was If I could get my hands on that, that's all I would use. So do you happen to know whether that when you were in this clinical trial, what exactly was in the capsule or whatever it was no. that you were taking? No, I didn't want to run out ask because mm. I know they're trying to get this out there, but um, I did ask if there was CBD in it because that's that's what I was curious about. And mm-hmm. he, the, the guy that was running the trial said, yeah, there was there was CBD in it. Okay, so was this a, just kind of a, a trial that somebody was doing? You know, somebody uh, sort of not really in an official capacity, or, or this, are we talking about a government trial here? Oh, it wasn't a government trial. Yeah, I was going to say. Not that I'm aware of. Okay. It, it's more, it's, um, I, I think, I believe in the near future we're, we're going to be seeing them around. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Was it, was it a company? Uh, yes. Okay. okay. I'm curious, I'm, you know, one of the reasons that I'm curious is I'm wondering if that CBD was uh, hemp from hemp or uh, cannabis. I, I tried CBD from hemp, and it did not work. Well, that doesn't surprise me. I tried it for two weeks. I, I, I was curious. Um, a friend of mine was curious about taking it, and the way I am, if I, I can't say for sure if it works or not unless I try it. So I said, well, okay, I'll get some and I'll try it. And I tried it and I was on it for two weeks and it did not work. Sounds like you need the one-to-one. Yeah. Yeah. Is is it difficult? Do you have many dispensaries where you live? Um, They're starting to pop up around. One was recently closed. I don't know if they were closed. There was some issues there. There's been a couple that have been shut down in that area. Yeah, there's... There's, I don't know, they need to focus on more important things if you ask me. But um, there's there's probably, I'd say, a dozen, like within within an hour of where I am. Okay. Melissa, how do you feel today taking the, the cannabis compared to when you were on your pain medications? I feel like a human being. I feel like I did when I was 16. I feel, I, I feel like myself again. Like I have my life back. What's left? Like what's left of it? Yes, I'm still sore, and there's still I'm still in treatments and stuff. But it's nowhere near where it was. Like it's giving me my life back. Are your bouts of pain um, less frequent? Yes. At one point, with, with occipital neuralgia, you get headaches, and the only way I can describe it, you know, the ice cream headache you get when you eat or drink something too quick. Oh yeah. It's just like that, but it lasts for sometimes a day, two days, and it's that intense. It doesn't stop. I used to get two, three, sometimes four of those headaches a week, and nothing would touch them, like absolutely nothing. And I think I might have had six in the last year. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those headaches can be, uh, I mean, they're all-consuming. You don't, they're crippling. They're crippling, absolutely. So you you've had uh, six in a, in the last year compared to three or four a week that you may have gotten prior to taking medical cannabis. Yes. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's to me. I, I can't honestly can't say enough good things about it. 
for me, it's been a real game changer because at, at one point I remember sitting on my couch thinking, how am I going to make it to the end of next week, let alone another 15 years of my life because I'm only 47 years old. Melissa, did you ever think of suicide? Um, I've been asked that question a lot. Um, yes and no. Those dark thoughts do creep in at some point. Whether, I, I think maybe from being a, previously being a psych nurse, working in psychiatry, things like that, if, if those dark thoughts crept in, there was it never got to the point where there was thoughts of a plan. It was just the de- more the depressive side, like I'm worthless. People would probably be better off if I wasn't here. Um, things like that, but there was never it never passed beyond that. Mm-hmm. But I can honestly say my dog had probably had a lot to do with that. He he's probably the one person I or the one thing in this world that I can say other than cannabis that's been a, played a huge role in. In a lot of how I've gotten this far. Yeah, dogs love you no matter what state you're in, don't they? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Chronic pain can be horrible, and and it's exhausting when it's day in, day out. And of it course, is. and it does affect your emotional state. Um, I don't know how much you know about me, but before I got on cannabis, before I was diagnosed with cancer, um, I had been in agony for five years straight, just under five years, with posternotomy syndrome and a malaligned sternum from a open heart surgery that I had, and uh, I certainly had thoughts of suicide, not because I wanted to die, but because I I remember looking at my girlfriend and saying, I just want a break from the pain. Exactly. You know, because it just consumes your life and what little life you have. And it's sounding to me like your life's very much like night and day now. It is. It is. Um, Even anybody that knows me can tell you, like, I'm very, very straight shooter. I tell it as it is. And before, I was more so probably, I was angry. I'm still a little bit angry, but because this is not how I expected my life to turn out. However, it's a lot easier to deal with now with less pain. Like, it's a lot easier to make a plan for the future with less pain. And now that cannabis has entered my life. Well, you've got some hope and you've got some optimism now, you know, and you're not feeling like you're so much in this life sentence uh, of agony. That's exactly how it felt. It, it felt like a life sentence. Like every day was just drawn out. How am I going to make it to the next day? Yeah, Melissa, is your has your weight come back up at all? I weighed myself last week when I went to the doctors because I threw my scale out years ago. I think I was one twenty four. Oh, that's which great. Which is still thin, but it, it's coming up, and it, it seems to be sticking this time. And my appetite's better. When cannabis entered the picture, it not only helped with pain, it helped with my appetite, it helped with my mood. So when you have all those factors coming in at one time, it's almost like that last click on a Rubik's Cube. That click and you're done, everything just falls into place. Because for so long with treatments and medications and things that weren't working and wasting so much money on things that are supposed to make my life easier... It, it didn't work out that way. And with cannabis, it was like as soon as that right combination came in, it was the last click on the Rubik's Cube. It was like trying to – the Christmas tree It's not all coming on. And you'd find that one bulb that you turn and everything comes on. That's the only way I can explain how cannabis has affected my overall health. Not just my physical health with pain, but my overall health. 
Melissa, I've never been that lucky to have that last click on a Rubik's Cube. <laughs> but he's, he's working on it. Yeah. <laughs> Melissa, you shared with me um, that you're now an advocate and educator for military and first responders and civilians and their families that are interested in learning about cannabinoid therapy. Can you share a little of that with us? Well, once I realized how well it worked for me, I started reaching out to other people in my position as well and finding out that it it was working like that for a lot of people, which I wasn't surprised. And then I started getting phone calls because when I started to open up a bit about it, because there's so much stigma attached to marijuana Mm -hmm. that especially like I know in general, everyday life, there's so much, so much stigma. When you, when I was employed as a corrections officer, I, I couldn't say, yeah, you know, I had a headache last night and I, I smoked a joint and I went to bed and I was fine because that person could go to my manager. I could be fired on the spot. Like yes. you, you can't talk about anything like that. And with PTSD, there's a trust issue. You know what I mean? There's all kinds of different things playing into effect. But once I did start opening up a bit more to it and not hiding it myself, because for a while I did try to hide it from everybody because I still felt like I was doing something wrong. Yeah. And that's that's an awful thing in this day and age to have hanging over, especially in your 40s, that this plant can do so much, yet you have to hide when you do it. So people started calling me. Um, a couple of my friends were in the military. We started talking. Things started happening, and they got licensed, and we went from there. One guy called me just last month to tell me that he's got his life back. Great. Like, n- nothing, there's nothing in the world that makes you feel like that. No matter what kind of a week you've had, when you get a call like that, it, it just makes everything so much better. But th- there's so much little education, and what people do know is usually misin- misinformed. Mm-hmm. Melissa, one of the things that uh, we've overlooked here is we've talked about your neurological issues. How has cannabis helped your PTSD, which I assume came from the incident in uh, the corrections, the correctional incident in which the woman pulled on your arm? Is that right? Yes, it did. Yep. Yes. Now, how has that helped your PTSD? Um, it, it's helped a lot. Um, my how I perceive things has changed i'm more trusting of people where before i was not so much so (laughs) at all um mood wise it's it's taken me from the only way i can explain it it just it felt like there was i felt like my brain was a, a radio station that was slightly off frequency you know what I mean? It kind of, it was you had that little bit of static, and it would get more staticky, less staticky, but the static was always there, and it was constant distractions, hard to focus, hyper vigilant, um, constantly feeling like you're waiting for something to happen. You're, it's exhausting on your body. Your, your adrenaline kicks mm-hmm. in for no reason, and you're, you're you're kind of feeling like you're having a panic attack. All that within probably a month dissipated. To the point where I was going out into crowds more without being less concerned about who was there. I was able to sit, you know, next to someone and have a conversation for more than 10 minutes. That was an actual conversation as opposed to me trying to figure out where I had to be in the next 10 minutes. Like I was never in the now. It was always 
pl- having a plan, plan B, like I'm constantly distracted. Yeah. Um, you know, um, a strain of cannabis that's extremely uh, successful with PTSD is called Golden Goat. Really? Yes. And um, if you take Golden Goat and even put it, mix it in with laundry soap, etc., and wash like your sheets and your pillows, just the smell alone is enough to alleviate PTSD. Really? Mm-hmm. I'm writing that down right now. Yeah, golden goat. Golden goat. So her sheets, goat. her sheets will smell like a goat. <laughs> They'll smell golden. Golden. Okay. I don't care what they smell like. It works. <laughs> Melissa, it was great to talk to you. We really appreciate that. It's good that you're on the road to recovery, and uh, you know, a couple more years, uh, you'll be back to normal. Uh, I don't think it ever was normal, Ian, but I'm hoping to at <laughs> well, least be back to some quasi-normal form. Anyway. Quasi-normal. Yeah, well, we're not uh, we're not normal here either, so that's that's good to hear. <laughs> and we thrive on that. Yeah. <laughs> Melissa, great of you to talk to us. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, you. Melissa. Really appreciate it. And before we conclude our podcast, I'd like to give a shout-out to Thomas in South Africa. He listens to us on the way to work. Thank you very much, Thomas. We greatly appreciate it. And we'll be back again tomorrow with another edition of Cannabis Health Radio. You've been listening to the Cannabis Health Radio podcast. Visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.